Hallelujah. There's nothing in your life he hasn't seen before. And there's no sin his blood hasn't covered before. Amen. And he's able if you just turn it all over to him. Amen. 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 I'm going to continue this morning in our study through Hebrews chapter 11, Steps of Faith. And I'm not going to read the text up front. I'm going to kind of introduce it and then we'll read it as we go. We're going to cover three verses if you want to be flipping there in your Bible, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 through 22. Death is something that comes to us all. It is the enemy that constantly and silently stalks us from the shadows of our lives. And you may defy it at times, and you may narrowly escape it for a season. But the scripture is plain in Hebrews 9 and 27. And it is appointed unto every man once to die. But after this, the judgment. Every man is going to die. Amen? And that, that's one appointment that we're all going to keep. No, no matter how many times God heals you, no matter how many times you escape death's clutches, no matter how many times you, you are miraculously saved, death is appointed unto us all. Amen? Our passage this morning shows how faith faces death, particularly when the death comes before we have seen our promise fulfilled. The groundwork for this passage was established a few weeks ago whenever the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth, but these all died, never having seen the fulfillment of God's promise. So they passed that promise on to their children by faith. Amen? God promised Abraham three things. First of all, he said, you're going to possess the land. I'm going to give you the land that you walk on. You walk the length uh, and the breadth of it and wherever you put your foot. Uh, I'm going to give that land to you. And secondly, he promised Abraham he would raise up a, a seed from him uh, and that that seed would become a great nation. Abraham, who had no children and whose wife was barren and who ultimately was beyond the years of, of childbearing, uh, but he said, you're going to have a child, uh, and I'm going to make of that nation, of uh, that child, a mighty nation. That was the second promise. The third was that you, through that seed and through that nation, the entire world will be blessed. Abraham lived a full life, yet he never saw any of those three things come to pass. Not even one of them. And when the time came for Abraham to pass from this life, he died in faith, saying to Isaac, you're going to see the beginning of these things that God has promised to me. 
And then after Abraham, Isaac, who also never saw those things. Uh, Isaac died in faith saying, Jacob, uh, you're going to see the beginning of these things uh, that God has promised to Abraham and to Isaac. Uh, But the years would pass uh, and Jacob would die in faith saying, Joseph, uh, you're going to see the beginning of these things uh, that God has promised uh, to Abraham and Isaac uh, and Jacob. And Joseph dies in faith, saying to Manasseh and Ephraim, I've never seen it yet, but God has promised, and you're going to see come to pass the thing that God promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and yes, even Joseph. These men were so confident in the promise of God that they passed it on to their children. There there are a lot of different examples that the Hebrew writer could have pulled from the lives of these men. We all know stories about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and their stories of faith and failure. Amen. These were not perfect men. They they served God sometimes uh, imperfectly, but in every one of their lives we catch glimpses uh, of this incredible faith that they had. Uh, But the thing that the author singles in on, uh, the thing that, that he relates in this chapter uh, is not the accomplishments of their life. Uh, It's not the moments when God moved uh, and did the miraculous for them. It's when death came to them. And these who had not seen the promise of God come to pass. Those who have seen it only from a distance. They've just seen it over the horizon of their faith and they've acknowledged it and they've been fully persuaded of it, but they've not yet seen it come to pass. And for these men, The promise of God remained in the category of things unseen. That's our working definition of faith for this series. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. So when these men come to death, uh, they have not seen the promise of God come to pass. Uh, Abraham has walked the length uh, and the breadth of the promised land. Uh, He's put his foot on land that God said was his, uh, but he's never possessed any of it. The only land he ever owned in the promised land was a burial plot that he bought to bury his precious wife. Isaac lived the same nomadic lifestyle in the pattern that that Abraham lived, a stranger and a pilgrim in the land of promise. Jacob lived after that same pattern set by Abraham and Isaac. And at the end of his days, he would leave this life and he's no longer in the promised land. He's in exile in the land of Egypt, a stranger living in Goshen. Uh, Amen. And so he he passes from this life not only having not seen the promise, but not even with it in sight anymore. And then Joseph. Joseph spent very little of his life actually living in the promised land. He was 17 years old when his brethren sold him into slavery and sent him to Egypt. And and in spite of the fact that he's not seen the promised land since he was 17 years old, and he's an older man now, amen, death finds him still clinging to the promise of things unseen. And that's the whole point of today's passage. These men believed that in spite of what they could see with their eyes, God always keeps his promise. 
They believed it even though they never saw it. They believed it even though it never came to pass. They died in faith, not one of them ever doubting the fact that the promise was going to come to pass. Uh, amen. They died in faith, uh, not in despair, not in fear, not in doubt. Uh, they weren't rolling over saying, you know, here I am at the end of my life, uh, and God hasn't done yet what he said he would do. No, they died in faith projecting uh, to the generation that was coming behind them. Amen. The promise of God is yea and amen. And if he said it, he's going to bring it to pass. They died believing in what they had not yet seen. And in that way, their faith overcomes death. It transcends death. Because they understood that though their mortal bodies would fail them, the promise of God would never, ever die. So they passed it from generation to generation. And the Hebrew writer picks up that theme in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 20 and says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Isaac blessed both Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And here's the deal. Isaac never saw the things that were to come. But by faith, when he came to the end of his days, he passed the promise down to his sons uh, that he had received from his father because he believed that even though he never saw it, uh, even though it never came to pass in his lifetime, uh, that God was going to bring it to fruition. Abraham never saw the promise, but he passed it on to Isaac. And now Isaac comes to the end of his life, and after having walked in the footsteps of his father Abraham, having not seen the promise come to pass, he passes that hope from one generation to the next. There is so much preaching that could be done right there. Amen. That's the posture of the church through the ages. Amen. We have a promise from God, and it doesn't always come to pass in our time frame, and it doesn't always bend itself to meet our understanding, and it doesn't always fit within the realm of our expectations. But what God said He's going to do, He's going to do. Amen. What God said He's going to bring to pass is going to come to pass. Generation after generation, has lived with an awareness of the promise that the Lord was soon to return from His bride. He was soon to come back for people who had made themselves ready. And like Abraham, generations of believers had lived in constant awareness of the fact that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. They've often gazed at the eastern sky and wondered if the next cloud could be the cloud that the king is coming back on. But generation after generation has passed from this life with a promise as of yet still unfulfilled. But this is how the faithful face death. The faithful face death in the same way that Abraham and Isaac did, with faith that the next generation is going to see the promise of God come to pass. The next generation is going to see what I've never seen with my eyes, what I've only handled in faith. Amen. They died in hope, not in despair. And the hope of the promise has been passed on by faith, transcending death because the promise never dies.
And the church today believes just as strongly as the church of yesteryear that this could be the day my Jesus is coming back again. This could be the hour every generation of the church has lived with the expectancy of an imminent return of Jesus Christ. This could be the day. Amen. What the Lord said he would do, he's going to do. Now, the Hebrew writer doesn't go into particulars of each of these individual stories. The main reason that he doesn't do that is because his audience is a Hebrew audience. And he can safely assume that they know the backstory and they fully understand the implications of what he's writing about. So he doesn't delve into the details. However, us as a, as a modern audience, you and I may not be readily aware of the intricacies of every one of these stories. For instance, you may not remember that Isaac's twin boys, Jacob and Esau, were miracle babies just like Isaac was. Isaac married Rebekah, but Genesis chapter 25 verse 21 tells us that she was barren just like Sarah had been. She couldn't have children. This son upon whom the promise was passed that is going to be multiplied through his seed. Uh, his wife can't have children. But the Bible said that Isaac prayed unto God uh, and God intervened. Uh, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the twins were fighting for dominion even in their mother's womb. And the Lord told Rebekah in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23, the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Amen. The elder will serve the younger. The line of succession for the promise of Abraham was announced to Rebekah before her children were ever born. But apparently there was a disconnect in between the announcement that was given to Rebekah and Isaac. Uh, he wasn't apparently as convinced uh, as Rebekah was. So when the season for his death came, when he recognized that the end was near, he sent for his eldest son, Esau. And he called Esau in and he told him, I want you to grab your bow and go hunting. I like you. I like that. Amen. Uh, that's scriptural command that I'm willing to follow. Take your bow and go to the field and get a deer. Amen. And so he told him, he said, I want you to go and take your bow, and I want you to go kill a young tender deer. I like that. That's gospel right there. Amen. Let that old sinewy buck walk. You go find me a young tender doe. Amen. You get the good meat, and then you bring that back. And he said, I want you to fix that meat the way Daddy likes it. I, I want you to make it in that particular way that I love. And when you return with that meat, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pass on to you the promise that was passed on to me. But Rebecca overheard Isaac. And just as soon as Esau left with his bow, she connived with her son, Jacob, to deceive the old patriarch. You probably know the story, but Rebekah dressed her son in his brother's clothing and put the rough hair of a goat on the back of his hands and his face and neck. And she prepared a young, tender lamb, exactly the way Isaac liked it. And she sent her favorite son, the one whom the Lord had promised her would be the greater of the two sons. She sent him into his daddy's tent 
to pretend to be his brother, to lie to him, to in all for all intents and purposes to steal the blessing. And in the end, the deception worked. Though Isaac ultimately blessed both of his sons, and the Hebrew writer acknowledges that, it was not Jacob, or it was Jacob, not Esau, who received the blessing of the promise. And in a shocking turn of events, the secondborn received the promised blessing that traditionally belonged to the firstborn. Amen. It was not the way it was supposed to be. And the Hebrew writer doesn't really bother to tell the whole story. But he lists the names of the sons in the order, not of their birth, but of their blessing. Amen. He lists Jacob first and Esau second. Uh, Amen. And his audience would have seen that and completely understood uh, the significance of it. Uh, Isaac blessed his youngest son, not his eldest son. uh, And he was deceived into doing so. There was sin involved. Uh, There was deception involved. Uh, There was trickery involved. Uh, But when he blessed his boy, uh, it was an act of faith. Isaac's eyes had grown dim. He couldn't see very well. As a matter of fact, the deception only worked because Isaac relied on what he could feel and what he could smell rather than what he could hear and what he could see. Amen. At one point in the story, he even remarks, uh, Amen, this is the voice of Isaac. Jacob, I mean. But it is the hands of Esau. Jacob, I hear. But Esau, I smell. Amen. Esau, I I can feel the touch. Uh, Amen. And so whenever he passed that promise, blessing along, uh, it was an act of faith. Uh, He did it in faith. Uh, His eyes were dim. He couldn't see. uh, But he reached out his hands uh, and he trusted God to ensure that he was passing the blessing uh, to the right son. And even though it was the wrong son, according to the natural order of things, Isaac's faith led him to bless the right son according to the spiritual order of things. It was an act of faith. And even in the midst of the deception, even in the midst of the sin that's involved, amen, Jacob was blessed by his daddy Isaac. And the promise of Abraham was conferred. And later, whenever Isaac realizes the mistake that's been made, when Isaac realizes that he hasn't done what he intended to do, but he's blessed his younger son instead of his elder son, he doesn't go back and try to undo it. He doesn't go back and try to fix it. Instead, he acknowledges this is the way it's going to be. I blessed him, and yes, he's going to be blessed. Amen. I passed it on to him. And yes, he's going to receive it. Uh, I may have been deceived, uh, but that blessing was conferred in faith. Later in the story, of course, you know, and you may not know, but Esau vows to kill his brother just as soon as daddy's dead. And the period of mourning passes. You better look out, brother, because I'm coming for you. And so Rebecca. She conceives a plan with her son Isaac to send him off to her brother Laban's house. And she goes to her son Jacob. She goes, I get these names, I'm sorry. 
She goes to Isaac and tells him Jacob needs to go back home and marry not a woman of the children of, uh, of Canaan. Now, Esau's already married two Canaanite women, but she says Isaac isn't, or Jacob, Joseph hasn't married any Canaanite women, and we need to send him back home and let him marry a man of a, of a, of a better seed, of the, of the lineage, uh, of the promise. And so she's going to send him back. Uh, and Isaac calls his son Joseph in front of him and tells him you're going to go amen but he in that passage genesis chapter 28 and verses 1 through 4 isaac called jacob and blessed him this is after he knows the mistake that's been made this is after he understands this is jacob and not esau but Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Uh, arise and go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, thy fa- mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence uh, of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. There's a lot of preaching there. I'm just going to have to skip over or we'll never get done this morning. Amen. And God Almighty... Isaac said, and God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham. Give the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave unto Abraham. Uh, Amen. So Isaac, uh, he blessed uh, Jacob a second time even after realizing the error that had been made. I always tangle Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph up together. If I get to preaching the same sermon... And it's got Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. I, I can't keep it all straight. There's too many of them little uh, Bible stories start running through my head, and I start running crosswise. But you know what I'm saying. Isaac blessed Joseph, even though he knew. Incidentally, he also blessed Esau. Though it was not the blessing of the Abrahamic promise, it was still a blessing concerning future things, things yet unseen. And that's the Hebrew author's point. At the point of death, Isaac believed enough in the promise of God to confer future tense blessings upon both of his sons. He who had not seen the promise with his own eyes spoke of blessings yet to come and spoke them into the lives of his sons, transferring to them that same forward-facing faith uh, that his daddy had passed on to him. Uh, And Isaac could do that because he was fully convinced Though he hadn't seen the promise of God, the promise of God would never fail. That brings us to Jacob in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 21. The next verse says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning upon the top of his staff. So now we find Jacob at the end of his life. Once again, we skipped over a whole lot of history. But Jacob is in the same place that Abraham and Isaac before him had been in. 
He's not seen the promise come to pass. He's lived out his years, and now he's passing from this life as an exile in the, in the land of Egypt, as a stranger in a foreign land. He's not even in the promised land anymore. He has to make his son's promise to take him back home and bury him with his father Abraham next to his wife Leah. Why does it matter to him where he's buried? Because he has a firm faith. The promise is going to come to pass one of these days. And I want to be buried in the promised land. I want to be a partaker of the promise that's going to come. And his body is weak and frail. But his faith is still strong. And he's still clinging to things unseen. So at the end of his life, he calls Joseph. You might ask why Joseph, he wasn't the oldest of his brethren. Besides the fact that he was his favored son, he was the eldest son of his first love, his true love. But he was also the dreamer. And God had revealed through the dreams that Joseph would have preeminence over his brethren. So Jacob prepared to pass the blessing through Joseph to his sons. And again, we see the parallels in the story. Joseph has two sons. And Jacob, just like his daddy before him, blesses the secondborn over the firstborn. When you read the account in Genesis, it tells us that Joseph brought his sons to Jacob and intentionally placed the eldest next to the right hand so that he would be the one to receive uh, the primary blessing. However, Jacob, when he laid his hands upon them, uh, the scripture said he crossed his hands and he laid the right hand on the youngest son. And he laid the left hand upon the eldest. And Joseph tried to correct him and said, No, Daddy, you got it wrong here. I put them in the right order. You need, to, you need to put your right hand. But Joseph said, I know exactly what I'm doing. Because God has told me the younger is going to be greater than the elder. So Jacob, watch this, who was not deceived. Jacob, when there is no trickery. When there is nobody pulling the levers and working behind the scene to try to force something to happen, Jacob, like his father, still blesses the secondborn over the firstborn. There's a principle of Scripture that's being borne out in those two examples from the Old Testament. Jacob follows the pattern of Isaac just to make sure that we recognize that though Isaac was deceived, God was never deceived. God knew exactly what he was doing, and he has chosen to bless the second birth over the first birth. And that has spiritual ramifications in the New Testament, where Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. John chapter 3 and verse 1 says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The saying came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and 
man of the spirit, uh, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, uh, and that which is born of the spirit uh, is spirit. Uh, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Once again, there's a whole lot of preaching that could be done here. But to simplify things this morning, every one of us is born of the flesh. But flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If we want to become partakers of the same promise, that eternal promise of God that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the faithful saints have been a part of, then we have to be born again. Because that promise is conferred upon the second birth, not the first birth. By virtue of your first birth, you were born after the flesh. But when you're born again, you're born after the Spirit. How can you be born again then? Jesus told Nicodemus, you've got to be born of water and of Spirit. That's what we call the new birth. It involves both water baptism and in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's what it takes to be born again. Can I get an amen? Returning to the story at hand, the Hebrew writer sees the act of blessing as an act of worship. Put verse 21 back up there. It doesn't just say that he blessed the two sons of Joseph, but it says that when he did it, he leaned upon the top of his staff and he worshipped God, that frail, feeble man at the end of his life. Amen. The, the, the Hebrew writer says that taking that staff of support that staff that is the symbolic of the strength of the Lord that upholds him. He stands maybe for the last time he's ever going to stand on this earth. Uh, and he lays his chin upon the top of that staff. Uh, and he begins to magnify the Lord. And the Hebrew writer sees the act of blessing those boys uh, as an act of worship. Uh, and he describes Jacob uh, as worshiping God as he's passing on by faith. The promise of God. Finally, we come to Hebrews 11 and 22. And by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. So finally, we come to Joseph. And Joseph is the break in the pattern. When he reaches the end of his life, we don't get a record of him conferring the promised blessing upon the next generation because Isaac's already done that. You remember Isaac skipped Joseph. He blessed his boys. And so Joseph, we find him at the end of his life still acting in faith after the example of his fathers. And though the years of sojourning have not yet come to an end, and as a matter of fact, they're only just beginning. The worst of it is yet ahead of them. The, the Israelites are not yet uh, slaves in Egypt. They're just visitors there. They're just strangers there. They're just foreigners there. But 400 years of captivity are coming, and they're going to be they're going to be slaves and they're going to be forced into labor. But Joseph looks ahead with eyes of faith and he tells his brothers, the day is coming. You need to remember this. No matter what tomorrow holds, no matter what the king or the Pharaoh does to you, the day is coming when the Lord will bring his promise to pass. And we will return again to the promised land. And brethren, I need you to promise me that on that day, 
when this mighty nation marches out of Egypt, you make sure my bones go with you because I want to be buried with my father in the promised land. Once again, we see forward-facing faith in the life of Joseph. Joseph. Joseph spent his whole life, all except 17 years, living in Egypt. But he recognizes Egypt is not my home. And now at the end of his life, his faith looks ahead and says, I don't know when and I don't know where and I don't know how, but honey, you can mark it down. It's going to come to pass. God gave Abraham a promise. He told him, I'm going to give that land to your seed. And you can count on it. One of these days, every inch of that promised land is going to belong to us. And though I will not live to see it come to pass, I want you to make sure my bones go with you. The example is different, but the principle is the same. Faith transcends death. You ever wondered, you know, whenever Isaac died, he told his boys, you want you to take me to bury me with my fathers? Immediately. You know, they, they waited. There was a passage of time. The, the time of mourning, and they embalmed the body. And then the boys took their daddy and they buried him in the cave. Joseph could have done the same thing, but he didn't. He said, I want you to fix my body, embalm it, and I want you to keep it among you. And when this nation leaves, I want my bones to leave with you. Joseph peers into the future through eyes of faith. And he speaks of the Exodus, which is going to become one of the most significant events in the entire Hebrew history. And he grabs a hold of that promise, and he says, one way or another, I'm going to be a part of that. I may not be alive. I may not see it with my eyes. It may just be my dry and dusty bones, but I'm going to march home with my people. What I find amazing about that is for the rest of those 400 years of captivity, Somebody in each generation was given the job of taking care of Jacob's bones. For 400 years, those bones were passed from generation to generation in much the same way that the promise had been handed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and to Joseph. And when one generation would pass away, the caretaker would perhaps choose his successor and call him over and say, listen, let me tell you the significance of these bones. What this casket tells me is that one of these days we're leaving Egypt behind. And when we do, it's up to you. These bones go with us. It's your job to make sure they make the journey. I can just imagine through the dark days of Egyptian slavery when things got just as bad as they could become humanly. There was a constant light of hope burning in the darkness of Egypt, burning in the hearts of a people who, though they didn't understand it fully, embraced the promise enough to preserve the bones of Joseph. And every time that casket is seen, it's a reminder, this world is not my home. 
I'm just a passing through. Amen. This land where I find myself uh, in labor and toil. Uh, this land where I find myself under the sting of the taskmaster's whip. Uh, it's just for a time. Uh, it's just for a season. Uh, a deliverer is coming. And finally the day came when Moses spoke with the authority of God and said, let my people go. And in the rush of that Passover night, when that mighty nation marched out of Egypt, there was a caretaker who finally saw his promise come to pass. That thing that those bones had testified for all those years. I could just see some old fella that's been watching those bones for years. He's been taking care of them. He's been maintaining them. He's been making sure they don't get misplaced somewhere in the shuffle of life. And I can see him calling his boys and say, come on boys, get a hold of this casket. Amen. I can see him patting the top of that casket and saying, it's okay, Joseph. We're heading home. You're about to go home with us. We're about to march back to our promised land. That's the way faith meets death, it transcends death, and it's passed from generation to generation to generation. I don't know what promise you may be clinging to this morning, but let me share with you the simple principle of faith. God's promises never die. They're passed from generation to generation, just like the bones of Joseph. They'll never fade away what God said he would do. He's going to do. So the church stands triumphant even in the face of death. We bury our dead and we weep our, to our tears, but we do not mourn as those without hope because we have a promise. One of these days, we're leaving this land. And let me tell you something, honey. We're taking our dead with us. One of these days we're leaving this place uh, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first uh, and we're going to meet them in the air. Uh, here's the point. Uh, death comes to us all, but there's a faith that transcends death uh, and there's a promise that carries us uh, into the hereafter. And if you want to be a partaker of that same promise uh, that all the faithful through the ages uh, have been a partaker of, uh, then I've got to tell you, just as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me, Sister Renee, if you come to the music. It starts at an altar of repentance. It starts at a place of bending your knee in the presence of God and repenting of your sins. It continues with water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And it culminates in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. As God fills you with His Spirit and you are born again. That's how a man who's fully grown can be born again. I come to this place today to encourage the church. Listen, we're triumphant. There will be a church in Lake City. This building's not big enough. My eyes may never see it come to pass, but it's going to come to pass. Because my God said, he said, you're going to reap from seed you didn't sow. That's the prophecy. That's the word of God that came forth over this pulpit about this church. You're going to reap from seed you didn't sow. God's going to give you a promise. This building can't contain it. Amen. I can't see it with my eyes. My, my mind doesn't understand how all these empty pews are going to be full one of these days. But my faith says the promise of God never dies.
My body's going to fail me one of these days. Uh, these eyes are going to go dim, uh, and they're going to shut for the final time. Uh, but the promise doesn't die with Brother Anderson, uh, and the promise doesn't die with me, and the promise won't die with the generation after the generation after that. Uh, until the Lord comes, uh, there's going to be a church triumphant. And then one of these days, we're getting up and we're getting out of here. We're going to go be with Him for all of eternity. Amen? I know it's a little different this morning. I want to ask you if you just gather around the altar, not, not to bend, kneel your knee and pray, but if you just come in an attitude of worship. And for a few moments, can we celebrate the promise of God? Can we celebrate the faith that holds on? The faith that says, I won't quit believing. The faith that says, I'm going to keep putting one foot in front of the others. I'm just going to keep walking. I'm just going to keep trusting. I'm just going to keep following after my Savior. I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know when. But he's going to bring his word to pass. If he said it, he's going to do it. Would you celebrate the promise this morning? Amen. And wherever you are, if you've got something that's burdened your heart, something that you don't understand, this would be an ideal opportunity uh, to turn it over to Jesus and say, Lord, I don't have to understand. Uh, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to let my faith work.